You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. If you got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 9. Uh, we're in a series where we are working our way through the Gospel of John here at Foothills Church. And so we find ourselves here in chapter 9. Excited to have our student ministry back from uh, Coastal Camp. Uh, how many students are in the room? You awake? You alive? All right. Glad to have you guys back. Nine students accepted Christ this past week. So let's praise God for that. Yeah. <clears throat> God's doing some great, great stuff in our student ministry. One of the things that's really awesome is that there are so many students that are involved and that actually went to camp whose parents aren't going to church anywhere. And so um, we're, we're praying through that and really praying and hoping to connect with those families. And uh, what a great ministry it is. Our children's ministry is the same way. So many great things happening and, and uh, we're just excited about that and what God is doing and um, as Brant mentioned, Next Level tents are outside. There's Next Level booth in the lobby. And, and uh, the whole point behind over the, the, this day and next week is, is to help you guys go from wherever you're at serving to the next level. So maybe you're already serving, but maybe, maybe there's something else that you need to be doing. Maybe there's another area that you should be serving in. Maybe you're not serving at all. And so we want to encourage you guys to go to those areas and, and uh, check out the different ministries. It's a quick, short little form, uh, just a couple of uh, check boxes and your name, and, and uh, we'll get back to you at a later time. But it's kind of like an easy step for you guys to take today. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do through that as well. So as we turn to John chapter 9, let me start by asking you a question. Has any Anybody ever accused you of being blind? Anybody accuse you of being blind? My wife accuses me of being blind all the time. Um, happened the other day. Happens often, but the other day I was um, trying to get the kids in the car and we were going to a birthday party for somebody in the family and so everybody was going and you know when you're trying to get yourself ready and your kids ready it's always a little chaotic you know and so finally get everybody out the door and in the car and I'm like oh man I gotta get my keys. And so um, I'm, I'm going in, I'm looking for my keys, I can't find my keys anywhere. And so for me, it's either my keys, my wallet, or my phone. And so I'm always kind of, I don't know where they're at. They hide, they have legs, and they walk away. And, and so, but my wife, you know, let me pause here. My wife is like a mutant from, from X-Men, okay? She's got a superpower. Some of you are visiting, you're like, he just called his wife a mutant. We are not coming to this church, you know. So, so she has a superpower of finding stuff, okay? So she can find anything anywhere. So if you lose your keys, just call me. My wife and I will come over. She'll find it. I don't know why, but she just, now if you were going to choose a superpower, that's probably not the one you would choose, but that's her gift. And so she's like, you need help? I'm like, no, I got it. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Can't find it. I'm getting frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. They're in the car, frustrated. They're hot, you know, and so, you know, tension is rising in the family and dynamics between my wife and I are growing and she's like hey do you need help you know and like no 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 I'm good I'm good I'm good I'm good well finally I'm like look I can't find my keys can you please come in here and help me you know unleash the superpower of Micah and so she comes in and in my house like when you walk through the garage door you walk into the kitchen and right inside the kitchen is the countertop and so right when she walks in she stops and she looks at me like you know that you're an idiot look you know She's like, are you serious? And I'm like, what? No, what? I, she's like, they're right here on the counter. She said, sometimes I think you're seriously blind, you know? It's like she says that to me at least once a week. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is, when we're born, we're all spiritually born blind. And even as a believer, we all have blind spots. Some, maybe it's sin in our life. Maybe it's situations going on where we're blind to 
areas in our life that we're messing up. It's our fault. You know, maybe we're blaming other people. Maybe we're focused on other things. But at the end of the day, it's our fault, but we're blinded to this reality. And, and, and sometimes it takes outside people to point that out to us. But in our story today, we're going to see a man who was born blind and Jesus heals him. But the point of the story is not just the fact that Jesus performs a miracle. The point of the story is that each and every one of us are born blind. And as a result of that blindness, we live a very destructive lifestyle. We live a lifestyle of sin. We live a, a lifestyle focused on ourself. And it's not until Jesus opens up our eyes and, and, and allows us to see that we are spiritually gifted with sight. We receive him by faith and he totally transforms our life. And so I want to look at this story today and beginning in verse 1. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to come back and forth to it all throughout the day. It starts with this. Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they're walking down the road. They come across a man who is blind. He's begging for food. He's begging for money. And so the disciples kind of go into what a lot of our church culture and our mentality is. And that is, oh, this guy is suffering. Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin that God would would cause this infirmity to happen to him. I mean, if we're honest, sometimes we think about that. We think, okay, he has cancer. He must have done something bad. You know, she's sick. She must have really messed up somehow. You know, they can't have children, so something really wrong is going on, you know, in their spiritual life. You know, it's like whatever the wrong or the bad or the negative or the suffering that's taking place in somebody's life, even in our own mind, we might go quickly to, why is God doing this? He must have done this because I cheated on a test in eighth grade, you know? And so we, we kind of go to these, these bad moments of our life, you know, and blame ourselves or that particular sin for why these things are happening. And so the disciples are asking an honest question. Did he sin or did, did his parents sin? So let's continue. Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so here Jesus gives us the reason why this suffering is taking place in, in, in this man's life. And before I jump into that, I want to give three other reasons. I think there are four reasons or four uh, reasons that, that God would allow suffering or allow pain to come into our life. And so one of these areas and one of the, the, the reasons is, is simply because of sin. And so, you know, we can look at this and say, you know, it's not, you know, we're not suffering. We're not going through these things necessarily because of a particular sin, but it could be because of sin. And so we want to take an honest look at our life. When we look at the Bible, we see over and over again examples of this. David and Bathsheba is a good example. David and Bathsheba commit adultery together. She gets pregnant. And, and part of the judgment for this sin is that the baby loses its life. A little bit later, uh, or a little bit earlier, Moses' sister Miriam is, is confused and rebels against the leadership of Moses and the marriage that he's about to do. And, and um, as a result, God judges her with leprosy. And so we see this from time to time all throughout Scripture that sometimes it's a sin that would lead to a judgment like suffering. But it's not an either or situation. 
It's not either his parents or either he that sinned. Sometimes there's a third or fourth or fifth or completely different option. And so one of those reasons that you might be suffering today or have sickness today or have something going on that's a tough uh, deal in your life is, is secondly to refine you or to grow us. So when God sends suffering into our life, you know, this is an opportunity that God allows us to, to, to grow. And so he refines us and he makes us stronger. And, 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 and I don't know about you, but in my life, when I look at the moments in my life where I am flat out on the ground, prostrate in tears or worshiping or, or just, you know, pressing my heart and my life into God, I can always point to it's a time of suffering. It's a time of pain. Because in those moments of pain, in those moments of suffering, that brings me to a closer walk with Jesus. It brings me to my knees, to my face. And so God uses those times in our life to draw us closer to him, to, that, that refine us. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So affliction happens to refine us, to grow us. Thirdly, we might be going through a time of suffering today because God wants to teach us to be more dependent upon him. So he's teaching us this, this dependence upon him because in our culture, we live in a very affluent country. And so, you know, we, it, it's easy for us to depend upon our resources, our bank account, you know, to encourage us through difficult times or, or maybe our family or maybe relationships at work or relationships in the community. And so we can kind of press in or lean into resources and relationships to help us get through tough times. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. However, if the point of our suffering is that we would depend upon Jesus, that we would lean into him and depend upon him for guidance, for help, for encouragement, for strength, then we don't wanna miss that during this season of affliction. We don't wanna miss this in this time of pain or suffering, that, that he might be using this to grow us and to, to teach us to, to be more dependent upon him. Fourthly, and this is where the blind man is at, the fourth reason that God may be leading you into a time of suffering is to display his power through us. And so this is exactly how Jesus responds here. Look at it again. He says in verse three, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so God is, is here allowing this suffering to take place in this man's life. He was born blind, but the reason he was born blind was so that God's power would be put on display in his life. And here it is. This is the moment that God's power and this opportunity for this man's life to be changed. And so my question for us at this time is, as you are dealing with pain, as you're dealing with the time of, of suffering in your life, you may be going through it right now. My question for you is, what's your focus? Because it's very easy for us to focus on ourselves. It's very easy to be selfish through this time. It's very easy to, to, to have a woe is me, a self-pity party through these times. And, and like, we're not going to go up to somebody with cancer and say, you know, I know you got cancer and all, but, um, you know, you're being a little selfish, you know. We don't, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go to somebody who's going through a divorce and, 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 you know, after they've gone through it or they've lost somebody close to them and, and, and tell them they're, they're being selfish. What we have to do is pray that God would open up our eyes and not allow us to be blinded by our selfishness. 
because that can totally happen to us that we're so focused on ourselves, we're so focused on you know, what we want and what's going on in us that we miss the big picture that, that God wants to be put on display through this situation in your life. This is a platform that God is giving to you to put his power on display. So we talk about his grace, we talk about his glory, and yeah, I'm dealing with some difficult things, but, but here's what God is doing and, and here how, here's what God is teaching me and here is how God is growing me and we're putting him on display in our life. So if we're going through a tough time, what's our focus? The point is not that we would focus on the why. Because we're, we're easily, you know, we easily fall into the, the why is this happening to me scenario. And if we're, if we're asking the question of why, it's never going to be fruitful for us. So we need to move from the why question and move into the how. How is God going to be put on display in my life? How can I put God's glory at the forefront in my life? We don't have to worry or, or, or care about the why, but we can trust that God is growing and using and going to put himself on display through our time of suffering, through our time of, of affliction. And he's always going to give us exactly what we need in those moments. Verse four, he says, we must be at work. A little bit later, he's, he's gonna send this blind man to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He says, we've gotta work. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he sends him to the pool that, that means sent. Because, because here's the point. Pain, suffering happens in our life, not so that we can sit and soak, so that we would be sent into the world to carry the message of grace in our life. That we would put Jesus on display. And so he sends him to the pool that means sent. And he says, hey, we've got to work. We've got to work for God because it's daytime. In other words, this is the season we're alive. This is the, the, the time and the place that God has put us in this, on this earth. And, and night is coming. In other words, you know, the end of our life is, is at hand or Jesus is going to return soon. One or the other is going to happen. Either way, it's a short season for us to serve God's kingdom while we're on this earth. And so, so he says, this, is, this day is short and, and we've got to work. And, and then he says, look, I am the light of the world. I was sent here by my father. And as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. So it's all pointing, pain and suffering, all the bad stuff in life is not pointing to us so that we would be inward, but so that we would be upward and, and focus on Jesus. And then we would be outward and we would be sent into the world to say, yes, this is what I've gone through. This is what I'm dealing with. But Jesus is good. Jesus is right. And Jesus is bringing me through it. His grace is always sufficient for me. As a matter of fact, uh, the Apostle Paul went through um, a season of his life. You know, all the great things that he did and all the great books that he wrote for us and all the things that, he's, that, that he did cannot be compared. And yet he went through suffering and, and we don't know exactly what the suffering was, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he speaks about it. It was some kind of physical ailment. A lot of people believe he had bad eyes or some kind of disease and we're not really sure. All we know is he had a disease, he had some physical ailment and he wanted to get rid of it. And so he prayed and asked God to, to take it away. And we've all been there, right? Whatever we, we're going through, whatever difficulty it is, we're like, God, just take it away. Jesus, take it away. Please heal or please take this person. You know, whatever it is, you know, fix it, take it away. And, and that's exactly what Paul does. And, and in chapter 12, verse 7 and 9, Paul says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. In other words, to keep him from being like arrogant about the fact that God was using him to do so much. God was doing so many things about all the revelations God was giving to him and he was sharing. To keep him from becoming conceited, this is what God did in his life. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. In other words, he's pleading to the Lord three different times. He's praying, God, take it away. God, take it away. Heal it. Verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So his point was, I prayed that God would take it away and he said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul's point is like, look, in this weakness of mine, he, he's, he's keeping me humble. And through this, this, through this oppression that I'm experiencing physically, that, that I'm weak, but in, in this weakness, I'm recognizing that, that God's power is strong in me. God's power is made perfect in this weakness, in this difficulty, in this suffering, in this depression, in this whatever it is we're going through. And so his grace is sufficient. In other words, he gives us everything that we need to deal with this, to work through it, and to share his truth through this story. His, his, his power is made perfect in this weakness, and he's confessing his weakness, and he's, he's pressing into the, to the sufficiency of God's grace in his life. And, you know, we've got several stories in our, our church of, of God doing this in people's lives. One of the people um, that have, has recently gone through this is Kay Horton. If you don't know her, she's a very, very special lady and uh, she's been battling cancer and is now cancer free, but her story is powerful and we wanted you to hear just a portion of it this morning. So guys, go ahead and roll that. Okay, God, I thank you for breast cancer. I thank you for breast cancer. I thank you for breast cancer. I praise you for breast cancer. For you are great. Your strength is great. Your courage and strength in me is great. Thank you, Father. I have felt the ways that you love me, and I am amazed. I can't tell you just how many times the Lord would lead me to Ephesians 6 and, and to the, um, the, the putting on the armor of God. And it starts with Tim before you even put the armor on it because it says, finally, let the Lord make you strong. Let the Lord make you strong. And whenever people say to me, even when I was losing weight and they would say, oh, you know, gosh, you're just awesome. You just, you know, I said, I always reflected back to the Lord. I said, it's not me, it's God, because I have done this and failed so many times because I had no strength. I, I'm just a pain wuss. I, I'm a worry ward. I, I would have just, the old me would have dealt with this entirely differently. And my husband can be a witness to that. <laughs> he will tell you. And uh, but, but God has made me strong. It's his strength, it's his courage. No witness that I could give you could ever be as strong as the witness that God himself has given me. Because I never really understood when people were suffering and stuff that God 
could supply what was needed um, to really make them strong enough to handle suffering. In my journey, I can't even really say I have suffered because of what God has done for me. And people don't under that you have cancer and you, you have not suffered. I don't feel I have suffered. I, ha I honestly feel I have had joy. Every day is just wonderful. If cancer recurred down the line, you know what? It wouldn't diminish a single amazement and miracle and gift and blessing that God has given me in this journey. What about you? <clears throat> yeah, you can clap for that. <clears throat> what about you and your story? Is your focus on yourself? Or like Kay, are you putting God on display through this? Is your head buried in the sand of your own problems? Or are you, are you rising above this and experiencing God's sufficiency and his grace and putting him on display? And, and I think um, that's where we want to be. I think Kay is an extremely you know, powerful uh, example of, of what it looks like you know, in, in, in a believer's life when they go through a serious time of suffering. And if you've been around her um, for just less than 60 seconds, you know that it would be nice to go have coffee with her every morning before you go to work because then you wouldn't be so cranky because she is such a joy to be around and she's so encouraging and, and fun. And so, you know, this, this is the issue. And so, um, and, and now Jesus does a miracle. They, they discuss the theological debate he, he explains what's happening through this man's life, and then he heals him. And so let's look at verse 6. He says, having said these things, he spit on the ground, and he made mud with his saliva. Now, come on. If you're reading the Bible with a sense of humor, you read that, and you're like, what is going on? Like, it's in, it's in this verse that I realize Jesus is like, you know, he's like explaining this deep theological truth, and then he's like, hang on, guys. You know, it's like Jesus would fit in well in Blunt County. I'm not, you know, he would fit in so good here, you know. It's like, why is he using saliva? I don't understand this. Saliva for me is just disgusting, isn't it? You know, it's like when you were a kid and your, your mom saw there was like food on your lip and she was like, and then she was like wiping it off. Did anybody's mom do that? Am I the only one with a weird mom like that? And then it's like, now I smell like spit all day. It's like disgusting. Moms, we got to quit doing that. They make baby wipes for that kind of stuff now, so we don't have to do that. But it's just gross. Why does he use spit? Why does he use mud to do this? I, I mean, mud is just, I mean, it's just gross anyway. Well, I mean, unless you're a woman, you know, and you guys kind of use that. I'll never forget my first year of marriage. You know, we had just been married just like a couple of months. We're watching TV. You know, we were in this little tiny apartment. We just had one bathroom, and, and I, I was in seminary, and we're watching TV. Mikey gets up, and she leaves, and I'm like, I, you know, I didn't think about it. About 30 minutes later, she's still not around. I'm like, I don't know what she's doing, but I got to use the restroom. So I get up. I go to the bathroom, the one bathroom we have, right? And I open up the door, and her back's to me, and then she slowly turns around. And on her face is like this caked-on green looking like diarrhea all over her face <clears throat> she turned around looking like Shrek and I was like what what is that green stuff all over your face and she's like it's an exfoliating mask and I'm like oh, whatever you know 
It's like, yeah, I don't, you, yeah, I don't understand you guys. But, you know, <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus spits and he makes mud and he wipes it on the guy's eyes. And so, so one of the theories on this is like, you know, there were 39 ceremonial laws that you couldn't do on the Sabbath and, and making dough was one of them. And so some theories are like, well, Jesus had to kind of, you know, kind of like kneading dough, mixing up dough with your hands. Um, he, he had to do that with the, with the spit in the mud. So maybe that was breaking a ceremonial law that, that he intentionally was trying to break or, you know, saliva is unclean as it should be, you know. And so using saliva on somebody's face was kind of looked, was frowned upon, you know. Had I known that was a bad thing, you know, I wouldn't have done it. But, you know, he... Um, he, he does this, and so obviously it's the Sabbath day he's healing, and he wants to make a point here, and, and so he breaks the Sabbath uh, by doing this. And so let's continue to read. He spits in the ground, and he makes mud. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing so he wasn't healed on the way to the pool. He was healed on the way back. And so the point here is that Jesus is calling us to do various things in our life. And so the healing doesn't come. The, the grace or, or the whatever answer to our prayer might not be coming because we aren't taking the step of faith that he is requiring of us today. Here's some mud, here's some spit, you know, let me rub this on your eyes. I guess the guy didn't care because let's just face it, he was blind, right? He doesn't know what's going on. It's like the next day he's like, Jesus used mud and spit, are you kidding me? That's disgusting, you know. At the time he didn't care. All he does is, is he just follows the command of Jesus. It's kind of like a blind faith, isn't it? Like, you want me to go here? You want me to wash over there? You're using spit and mud, I don't get all this, but if this is what you want me to do, okay, I'll go. So he goes and he washes and he came back a different man. He came back seeing. And so, so the point for some of us is like, we've got to take that step of faith. Some of you are, are, aren't pulling the trigger in your life because you're too fearful. And, 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 and you, you don't understand everything and, and you're a planner and you've got to have every little detail figured out. And, 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 and until it's figured out, you're not going to go or you're not going to do it or you're not going to follow. And so he's like, no, 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 that's what faith is. It's not figuring it out. It's not knowing. It's having questions. It's being fearful and it's, it's having anxiety about it. But you go anyway and then you come back seeing. And so then all the people in the town, after he's healed, they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is the guy that was the blind beggar, and here he is, he can see. And some are like, no, that's not the guy. And others are like, yeah, that's the guy. And they're like, what happened? And, G and, and he says, this guy, Jesus, he put mud on my eyes, and he told me to wash, and I did, and I came back seeing, and so I'm healed. And so that confuses them, and instead of celebrating with him, they take him to the religious leaders. So let's jump down to verse 13. So they brought him to the Pharisees. The man who had formerly been blind, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So this is the point. Like the Pharisees were concerned about when Jesus had done this. That was their focus. For this man, he, he wasn't worried about when, uh, what day it was. He was focused on who it was. And then he says this in verse 50. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Again, they're focused on the day, what, you know, when he did this. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. 
So they're fighting. The religious leaders are fighting about this. God's not going to let a sinner do a miracle like this. And some are saying, yeah, but, 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 but he doesn't keep the Sabbath, so he is a sinner. And there's no way this is true. And, and so there's a debate. There's, there's, there's fighting going on. And so then, look at the next verse. <clears throat> verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. So at this point in the life of the blind man, he hasn't put his faith in Jesus. He's not believing in Jesus. But at this time, he's got a good head knowledge about who Jesus is. I know he's special. He's a prophet. That's all I know at this point. So so there's a head knowledge. But listen, a head knowledge of who Jesus is does not bring salvation into a person's life. A head knowledge that, oh yeah, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus, yeah, died on the cross for our sins. I mean, that's a head knowledge but that's not saving faith. That, that's, not, that's not taking us from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. The Bible says that even the demons believe that. So there's a difference between knowing something and actually committing your life to it. And that's part of the point here. And so then the, the, the Jews don't believe, verse 18, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So the next few verses are an investigation of mom and dad. So they bring mom and dad in the room. Mom and dad have a seat here. Now listen, this guy says he's your son and he was blind and now he sees. And so we're just trying to get to the bottom of this. You know, so first of all, is this your son? Yep, that's our son. Now was he born blind? Yep, 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 he was born blind. Okay, so how did he get his sight? And they go, well, on that one, we're gonna stay out of this. We're gonna let you talk to him because he is of age. Now, why would they do that? Why wouldn't mom and dad celebrate that their son who has been born blind for his entire life has now received his sight? Why can they not be happy and celebrate? And, and oh, we don't know who this guy is and, and, and how he did it, but he gave our son sight. So we're pumped, man. We like the guy. They didn't even do that. They couldn't celebrate with their son. They were too fearful. And here's what they were afraid of. Look at verse 21. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. In other words, he's old enough to speak for himself. Leave us out of this. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because why? Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. In other words, don't ask us. We're not gonna get into this. Ask him, we're out. Now, we can be pretty hard on mom and dad at this point. You know, we could, I could preach a whole sermon on how bad, you know, they are as parents. But at the end of the day, we allow fear to keep us from putting Jesus on display as well. God's doing something in our life. We want to share something. He's he's saved us or he's doing whatever in our life, doing stuff through our kids, maybe healing in areas or just simply our salvation and and he's blessing us. And and we're not putting him on display in our lives. Why? Well, we might be fearful that if we begin to talk about Jesus, we'll be seen as a believer in Jesus. And we don't want people to know that we believe in Jesus. We just kind of want to be normal. We're afraid that we might be kicked out of some social settings 
You know, we've got some high schoolers in the room that you're not putting Jesus on display in your life because you're too fearful that if I talk about Jesus and my church and my faith, that my friends aren't gonna let me hang out with them. They're gonna think I'm weird, so I'm just gonna be kicked out of that group. And I don't wanna be kicked out of that group. We allow fear. Fear of the religious leaders was mom and dad's issue. Now, this was a legitimate fear. You know, to be kicked out of the synagogue was a big deal. That means you couldn't worship God. You couldn't offer sacrifices to God. You couldn't give an offering to God. And if you weren't doing these things, then that was a huge deal. You weren't a part of the family in, uh, of just the relational dynamic there of the synagogue, of the church. And so, man, this was a big deal. So it's a legitimate need. However, the blind man fights through his fear. And that's what I say you and I have to do. We might be, some of you, I've heard this before. If I talk about my faith at work, I might get fired. Now just listen, listen, listen to the logic of this. You know, the king of kings and lord of lords gets put on display in your life and you get fired. Do you not think the dude in charge of everything can find a new job for you? You know, if I talk about my faith, I may be embarrassed. I, you know what? We've got to fight through this fear and realize the king we serve. Realize the power of this God we serve and realize no matter what happens as we put him on display, he is always gonna come through for us. He's always gonna find us. He's always going to provide for us. The people doubted, the, 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 the parents were fearful. And so then we, 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 we begin to get into a, another time here with the Pharisees. Let's continue in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. Isn't that beautiful? You know, that's our story. That's my story. It's your story when you think about it. Before Jesus, I was blind. He saved me by his grace. I was a rebel. I was selfish. I was arrogant. I was prideful. All I cared about was me, and Jesus saved me. And now I'm just a little bit less prideful, a little less arrogant, and he continues to work on me. But bless God, I've experienced his grace. I'm a changed man. You know, we have people in our culture, you know, when we talk about God and we talk about our faith and there's all kinds of, of objections, you know. Well, evolution teaches this and this and proves that there is no God. Hey, listen, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. Well, the Bible is just a bunch of ancient myths and mythology. Listen, listen, listen. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. You see, nobody can argue with a changed life. And so we've got to put that story on display. And if you've not worked on that story and you're not putting that story on display, then I say this week you've got a lot of work to do. Here's this man fearful of being kicked out of the synagogue, putting Jesus on display. They ask him again, how did it happen? He goes through the whole thing again. So let's hop down to verse 31. They're saying there's no way that this guy is from God. We know he's a sinner. Verse 31, the man, the blind man, formerly blind man, we know that God does not listen to sinners for if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. So this guy is, is, is reminding them that, listen, we have never heard of this happening. It has never happened in the history of the world. This guy has to be from God. 
This guy has to be a chosen special. He's somebody from God. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would teach us their arrogance and their self-righteousness coming across very strongly in this verse. And then it says at the end of verse 34, and they cast him out. That was it. Rejection. Kicked out. No more, not allowed to come to the synagogue any longer. No more worship for you. No more church for you. You're out. Recognizing that that was possible for his life, knowing that that very well could have happened, he still stood up for this man, Jesus, and he hasn't even been saved yet. He's not even been saved yet, and he is standing up for Jesus. And I just wonder, should we be equally as inspired today as believers because we've got believers who have so-called faith and have been changed and we can't stand up for our Savior. We can't speak up. We're too shy. We're too scared. We're too fearful. Verse 35, I love it. Jesus heard that he had been cast out and having found him, he said, let me just pause there. So here's the deal. The man has stepped out in faith again. He's taken another risk in his life. Look, I don't know who he is. I don't know how he's done it. I was blind. Now I can see he's got to be from God. All right, now I'm kicked out. Now I'm wondering what's going to happen next. And Jesus comes and he finds him. Jesus knows that he's been kicked out and he comes and he looks for him and he finds him. Here's the deal. You step out in faith for Jesus, don't worry. He's always going to find you. He's always going to come next to you and supply whatever it is you need whether it's faith, resources, health, whatever it is he needs to accomplish what he needs to do through you, he's there. And that's what faith is all about. It's being fearful, it's having anxiety about it, stepping out in faith and then realizing that, oh man, Jesus comes and he, he, he does supply, he does rescue, he, he does fulfill his end of the deal. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now this would have been very clearly a a, a call to salvation. The Son of Man was a reference for the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one. And so by asking this question, the man knew exactly what he was talking about. This Messiah that's been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? (laughs) I love the innocence. You know, he's like, who is he? I believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. There's his moment of faith. There's his salvation experience. His faith was placed in him. He believes in Jesus, and then he worships Jesus. You see, there's a combination of things. We see this all throughout the New Testament. There's a confession, a repentance, a believing, and then there is a going in other words, there is, a, there, there, there is a process of me following Jesus. So if you're not following Jesus today, and then you, you know, you're banking on a head knowledge of who he is, you've missed it. Your eyes are still blind to who he is. Jesus healed this man physically, gave him sight in the beginning of the story, but he was still blind. He was spiritually blind. He was spiritually blind to who Jesus truly is until this moment. He believes and he worships Jesus. And then the whole point of the story falls into place in verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment 
I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, the whole point of the story is, is, is Jesus trying to teach us the reality of spiritual blindness. The Pharisees, in their pride, in their self-righteousness, did not see a need for Jesus. They felt like they had it all together. They felt like they, 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 they had life exactly where it needed to be. They had life by the tail, and they were living a good life. They were living a righteous life, but they were not. They were, they were just so in staunch in sin, they couldn't see it. They were blind. And Jesus said, because you don't recognize your, your blindness, because you say you see, you're going to be blind. So the whole point is that unless you can admit that you can't see, you'll never see. So there's this idea that we have to confess that we can't see. I can't find my keys. I need your help. You know? And when we admit we can't see, that's when Jesus gives us sight. But if we think we can see and we think we're doing fine and we think we can live life on our own apart from God, apart from worshiping God and putting him in the rightful place in our life, then we will be blind. And this is the point of the story. I love the part of the verse that, that or the part, this particular verse when he says I don't know I don't know all I know is I was blind but now I see Um, one of my favorite all-time songs is Amazing Grace Um, I'm not talking about the new Chris Tomlin one with my chains are gone it's nice and all but there's nothing like the old school Amazing Grace you know piano organ guitar whatever it is just kind of bare bones just singing Amazing Grace I love that song um, a man by the name of John Newton lived in the 1700s, actually wrote that hymn. And um, what's interesting about the song is kind of the background of his life. If you don't know anything about him, he, he, um, his mom died when he was just a child. So his dad kind of raised him into his teenage years. And when he was a teenager, his dad died. So his dad was a sailor and um, kind of fell into that, that um, line of work and found himself a servant of a, a captain on a slave ship. And uh, was, was abused on that ship terribly. And uh, writes about how dark those days were for him in his life. And uh, one of his dad's old buddies uh, finds him and, and sees his desperation and rescues him from, from that boat. And, and uh, puts him on another boat. Uh, the only issue is he was a captain of the boat, which would be a good thing, except for it was of a, a slave ship. So he was a part of that terrible dark history of our country, of our world. Um, you know, the triangle between Africa and Europe and America. And he was involved in all that and um, leading a, a ship. And one night and when they were on the, the sea, there was a rough, rough storm. And so the waves were, were terrible. Wind, lightning, uh, rain, everything was, was taking. The boat was actually falling apart. And, and he just knew that he, you know, the ship was going to sink and they were all going to die. I mean, the, co- the Coast Guard was not coming back then, you know, and so, so they were going to die. And so he offers up his first prayer ever to God. Didn't even know about Jesus, didn't know anything about God. And he just said a simple prayer, God have mercy on me. And God did. He saved the boat, the boat made it to shore. And in, in that moment, in that process, God changed his life. He became a pastor, um, ended up 
making a great deal of progress against slavery in his area, um, wrote several, several hundred um, different hymns, and uh, one of them, his, his most famous, being Amazing Grace. And if you're not familiar with that, if you've lived in a cave for the, your entire life, uh, the line that sticks out to me the most is Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I mean, how sweet the sound. You know, I, I just love the beauty in those lyrics. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, when I was a kid, I'd never used the word wretch. I still don't really use the word wretch, but I knew it was kind of a bad thing to be a wretch, you know? It's like, that's not a good thing. When you know the background of his story, you realize kind of the depths of his dark days, that he wasn't just, you know, because some of us, we think, yeah, before Christ, I was a bad guy. I mean, I was, I, was a, you know, I was a pretty good husband. I was a pretty good this, but I didn't kill anybody or anything, but I was okay. But he really knew and understood the depths of his depravity. And, and so calling himself a wretch like me, knowing how dark his sin was and how amazing this grace is, uh, through our Savior, um, and, and, and he closes that line, well, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Taking that line straight from this story, he penned those words, and we've been singing them for hundreds of years. You know, I don't know about you, but when we look at this man's life, and we see verses 35 and 38, we see his belief, we see that he was truly saved at this time, and he worshiped Jesus. And, and for me, the bottom line is that if, if we won't see, and, and, and we don't see our blindness you know, on our own, this is only a work of God's grace in our life. And so God shows us our spiritual blindness and then saves us out of that. And so for me, it's like when we pray for our country, when I pray for people to be changed, when I pray that, that God saves somebody, it, it's in this vein of God open their eyes because they are blind. When you can't see something, you can't find something, you just can't overcome it on your own. It's a work of God in our life. Some of you, you've never experienced that. You've never experienced a spiritual awakening in your life. And you're just kind of banking on this head knowledge of who Jesus is, but you've never believed him. You've never worshiped him. You've never experienced salvation in your life. And I want to encourage you to do that today. You know, this summer has been um, um, a weird summer for sharks. You know, you've been keeping up with that. It's like, in the Atlantic Ocean especially, like in the Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head area, there's like eight or nine attacks, something like that. I've read recently, and, and all this has happened throughout the summer. And we went to Hilton Head. My dad uh, gets a house and takes us, and he took us this, this year, our whole family. So we're, we're at Hilton Head before all the attacks happened, right? So we, were, we didn't know. We were blind to all that kind of stuff that was going to happen. So we're at the beach, and we're playing in the ocean. We're all just, you know, some of us are sitting on the beach, and all the kids were in the water. All my nieces and nephews were in the water and, and um, my, my son Bryson and my nephew Jacob, they were on their little boogie boards out. They're about 20 feet out catching the waves, you know, having some fun. And all of a sudden my niece who was sitting beside me uh, jumped out of her seat and said, oh my gosh, there's a shark, you know? That's like, what? So I jumped to my feet. I feel like the organ right now should be playing dun-dun, dun-dun. Definitely add some drama to the situation. But so we're, 
So I'm to my feet. This is happening in a millisecond, you know. So I'm jumping to my feet. I'm yelling at all the girls who were just kind of knee deep in the water. I tell them, get out of the water. And, and so they all run out. They don't know. I don't say the word shark because I don't want everybody to like freak out. But I'm like, get out of the water, get out of the water. And they all just ran. <laughs> and um, Bryson is out there. And I'm like, get in, get in. He starts coming in. My nephew Jacob is like, he's saying something to me and I can't hear him and, and I'm yelling at him to come in and he can't hear me and, and so he's just there and there's this shark I mean he's about a six foot shark and, and you know I know scientists you know would say well not all sharks are dangerous a bull right but the shark you know I'm getting off his plate you know I'm getting up out of the ocean you know and so I know I've, I've seen that video some of you are laughing at it so I'm getting out of the water. And so here's Jacob, everybody's out. And so, I mean, I just instantly, I just dove in and went out to him. And I'm telling you, I can see this shark. He is, it's seven, eight feet from me and I am freaking out. And, and um, you know, I've always heard if you pee in the water, it kind of makes the, the sharks run away. So I, I tried that, I'm just kidding, I did. So I'm running, I'm running out, I'm swimming out and I grab him. And when I grab him on the boogie board, you know what he says? The Velcro stuck around my wrist give a rip about the Velcro, man. There's a shark in the water, you know? It's like, shut up. And so I, I just pick him up. He's a little dude. So I just picked him up and just, you know, swam and ran out of the water. And I mean, we watched the shark just swim around for another five minutes before it went around or before it left. And so, and then we come home, we hear all these shark stories about people. And we were like, we saw him. We know who he was, that jerk, you know? But I came back and I told the story to the guys and they were like, man, that's a picture of the gospel right there. We just kind of dissected it and talked through it a little bit. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's exactly what happens in our life. We are, we are blind to the danger of sin in our life. We're blind to the danger of the sharks. We, we are in imminent danger. And you know what we're worried about? The Velcro stuck on my wrist and I can't get it off. It's like, that's the least of your problems, you know? God will fix that issue, but you first have to come to him. And so Jesus comes out into the shark infested waters and he grabs us and he saves us and he pulls us to shore. And then when we get to shore, we can get the Velcro off our wrist. But you know what we do? We try to get that fixed before we come to Jesus. How many times have you invited somebody to church and they said, ah, I've got some things I need to work on at home and then I'll come. Spiritually blind, they don't get it. You're not gonna overcome that. You're not gonna overcome that sin in your life until you come to Jesus. Do you recognize that you are spiritually blind and you say yes to him and you serve him and follow him and he rescues us out of the danger. And folks, I'm telling you, there are people in the room that have never done that. And today I wanna encourage you to receive him into your life. Allow him to open your spiritual eyes today and let him change you forever I want to ask you just to bow your heads this morning and let's pray as we close we're going to sing a song and worship as we close but as we do I know there are people in the room who you've never accepted Christ if you're a believer in the room I just want to encourage you to pray right now pray for your loved ones pray for people in the room God would open their eyes how many of you would say any, anybody at all say you know what Trent I have never received Jesus into my life, but I'd like to do that today. Would anybody just throw up their hand and just say, that's me today? Anybody at all? 
I'm looking all around. Anybody say, I want to receive Jesus. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online.